Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Having worked in the summer camp industry for the past two decades, I'm convinced that summer camp professionals have a unique view on kids and young adults. I am certain that the stories that they've earned by working with and alongside thousands of kids and staff members from literally all over the world can be useful to parents, teachers, coaches, and mentors back home. So each week, I spend some time around the digital campfire with the leaders and thinkers of the summer camp world. We share stories, we laugh, we learn together, which really, when you think about it, is what we've been doing around campfires for as long as campfires have been around. So I hope that you'll spend the next few minutes around this digital campfire with me to see how you can take some of the magic and fun of summer camp and apply it to your life back home. This Campfire Conversation podcast is brought to you by our friends at Scope, who send hundreds of children from financially disadvantaged families to summer camp each year. Kate and I have supported Scope since our first summer in camping 17 years ago, and I'm thrilled they're supportive of this podcast. Stick around to the end of this Campfire Conversation to learn more about Scope, or press pause and head on over to them on the web at scopeusa.org. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Josh Holland. Josh is a fantastic camp director and leads Camp Cobbacy for Boys up in Maine. Josh has been a part of the camping world since he was 15 years old, and now he's actually a PhD, um, and really has spent a great deal of time thinking about the types of experiences and the culture and the people that bring the best out in boys. Last week, we had a wonderful conversation with Ginger Claire um, about girls and bringing out the best in girls. And it is just as important to understand what it takes to bring the best out in boys. I hope you'll enjoy this evening's Campfire Conversation with Josh Holland. Josh Holland, thank you for stopping by the campfire. It's my pleasure. Awesome, man. So before we get into it, I know I've had a great conversation with uh, Ginger Claire, who is, you know, in some ways your compatriot there on the girls' camp right next to, to Cobbacy. How did you get into camping? Well, I think sort of like Ginger, it is a path that is a little unusual for a camp director these days in that I'm from the West Coast, like Ginger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know each other back then. But I started working, well, I started going to a Boy Scout camp, a little tiny, really humble Boy Scout camp in northern Idaho called Camp Grizzly. That was full of spirit. It was kind of the little engine that could as a camp. (laughs) And they made amazing things happen on almost no budget. And I got totally swept up into that world and ended up a counselor at at 15 years old, which is way younger than we would we would let anybody be counselors. Uh, but the Boy Scouts uh, don't really have a, a, a formula like ours. They're, it's less of a residential facility and more of a program-centric program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I just fell in love with it. I, I started working when I was 15 and, and went all the way through an 11-week summer as a 15 employee. I think we got paid 40 bucks a week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it was pure. So that hasn't changed. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I had this distinct sense. I don't know if uh, you and I have talked about this before, but when I got back after that first 11 weeks, I remember standing in my parents' dining room and feeling like the ceiling was too low and the <laughs> air wasn't moving. And I felt really, I felt kind of like a 
a caged wild beast. I was so used to being outside and I've never really looked back after that. It's been pretty much standard straight through since uh, then. That is fantastic. Well, and I know you've, you've worked at, at several fantastic places. Um, one of them being Walt Whitman, where you got to work very closely with a, a wonderful mutual friend of ours in, in Bill Dorfman. Um, and then with, with Jed and, and everybody else and Jancy, you know, who was just unbelievable in terms of a human being and a fantastic camp director as well. Yep. In that process, now here you are at Cobbacy, you know, running an all boys camp. You've worked with young men and boys for, well, since you've been 15 years old. How have you seen boys and young men change over that time? Have you seen, you know, quote unquote, masculinity change over that time? Yeah, well, I'm happy to say that I think it has changed quite a bit. Uh, I have these memories of of how, um, you know, thankfully not not me, but people in my high school treated a few of the boys who came out as gay in Eastern Washington, and and that was not a not a smooth ride for them. It was really rough to see that, and um, and I think that there is a rigidity to masculinity, you know, even as you know, I was just thinking about this the other day, 1994 is when I graduated from high school. Um, and I think there was just this beginning of, of, an, of an evolution of masculinity that was starting to happen then, where we would joke about being a sensitive 90s man, but also we're sort of set free by that. And I really feel strongly that that, uh, that was set in motion by, by the feminist movement and, uh, and Title IX and a bunch of other things that were, were the results of hard work by, you know, disadvantaged others that really led to a ripple effect that changed, I think, how boys feel like they can, you know, be boys. And by that, I don't mean the, the sort of hackneyed phrase, boys will be boys, which references a pretty rigid masculinity. I'm talking about, I think that boys these days and, and then as a result, men are able to imagine and feel at home in different types of being a boy it's it's there's a wider field of accepted boy nesses i guess mm-hmm. is a is a way to put it mm-hmm. and i feel like that's really really hopeful and powerful and i see it all the time at cobbacy and i'm really grateful for that cobbacy is a is a sleepaway boys sports and adventure camp, a place where you feel like if there was going to be some rigid masculinity, it would probably play out there. I mean, we are competitive, the boys Mm -hmm. play to win. Um, But it is such a, it is so cool to be a camp director in this day and age of a boys camp because you have the opportunity to see and to further these many different fields of masculinity. And I think that that's just really heartening. It, It feels like you're, you know, helping along a dynamic that you really believe in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny over time at, at, in my camp experience, we've seen the boys, you know, go from everything's all sports all the time with the assess what they think they have to do to all of a sudden now when we look at, at our population, a third of our boys really like sports. They might not be very good, but they love sports. A third of our boys want really nothing to do with, with sports. And a third of our boys are just as likely to be in the play as they are on the soccer team. And they're all having a blast and they're all thriving because yeah. they're doing things that they're most engaged with, regardless of what that, that might be. Um, and they're, they're just boys. They're just doing the stuff that they're excited about doing, which is fantastic. Yeah. yeah and I think the same thing plays out probably with the slightly different ratios of Cobbacy. I mean, like I said, it's a 
sports and adventure camp, the boys uh, like to really reside in that identity as a sportsman and as a guy who's good at stuff. And they like to get better and they like to strive and they love to be on a team that is, you know, fighting the good fight against another team with respect. But when we, I should say, and uh, when we get into something like a campfire or, you know, at our, at the wood shop or um, in one of our hilarious evening programs, MTV night, talent show, whatever, <laughs> guys are dressing up in costumes and they are, they are throwing down in the, in the choreography and uh, <laughs> contest and they take it seriously, maybe because there's a giant statue made of Oreo cookies they get to eat if they win, but, <laughs> uh, but they are, there, there's no, there's no like, Oh, I wonder if someone's going to think I'm a dork. If I do this, that it's not even on the table. They are, they are doing it. You know, it's a, it's a pretty freeing thing. And I think that the other part that is, that is so wonderful is that, you know, we have, uh, we have different sexualities represented at Kavasi, uh, or whatever version of that is is you know visible in the in the um, in the age groups that we have, and there's no backlash against that anymore. Uh, certainly not at Kavasi, and it's just a. I really feel like I don't know if you have this sense, Cole, but sometimes I think even really um, you know progressive thinking adults can still be a little bit. Uh, out of step with how fast the youth are advancing in terms of their view of these sort of things. And it is just a wonderful era to be in charge of a boys camp because boyhood is a much more inclusive, you know, parentheses these days than it used to be. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, you know, and speaking about, you know, those types of communities, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about, guys getting up on stage and being goofy and, and, you know, for me sitting around the campfire and shedding real tears, you know, with, you know, with their compatriots, you know, that's not much stuff you see back home. That's not, I feel like a community that, that our young men get to have back in the quote unquote real world. What is it about camp that, that engenders that type of, of situation for, for young men? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that some of it has to do with, I mean, there's a series, obviously a series of factors. I think we take out the distraction machine in the form of, of uh, you know, the personal computers we carry around in our pockets in the form of phones. Yeah. That's gone. So they are just way more connected with each other because that's nowhere to be seen. Um, but I also think that there is tacit permission at a place like Waquaic or Kavasi where the boys know when they show up when they're seven, they see their counselors being more connected to each other and to the boys. They see, they see a lot of modeling that's happening from the older boys because they've already been in the system. And so when you get to a new camp, you might even be a little scared or, you know, you're, you're nervous and you're trying to figure out what the social norms are and you get there and you're, whether or not you know it or not, you're seven, you're eight, you're nine, and your radar is going crazy because you're trying to figure out what this is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah, see, trying to figure out the culture and that's right. go from there. And, and one of the most powerful things you can do is set up a really healthy culture that the other boys strive to belong to and, be, and become. And, you know, three years down the road, that same seven-year-old is now a 10-year-old and he knows that it's cool to be like this at Kavasi, and he's modeling that for the next seven-year-old. And then it becomes mm-hmm. this, you know, the boys think it's some sort of magic spell or, um, or <laughs> I'm my, you know, the, the, the phrase, I am my best self here. I feel like I can be myself here that doesn't happen by accident. That's because, you know, one is very careful with the 
orientation. One is really clear with their staff and does what you can during orientation to get their staff to open up in the same way. And then you have a great retention rate. So the boys coming back are really able to literally transmit the same message and it becomes its own. It becomes like a, a juggernaut, a bowling ball. You can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. It starts with, you know, the, the people that you surround the kids with, especially the older ones. How do you prepare? How do you take the young men? And I'm sure you have a couple of young women too, but, but the very mass majority for you would be young men coming from college, you know, coming from being dipped in the technology and society that we have. And all of a sudden they show up at this little oasis and it's not just yours, but it's, it's, you know, camps all over the country. Yeah. And all of a sudden you say you need to reach out and you need to be open to these kids and totally engage. How do you get, you know, a 19, 20, 20 year old young man to do that? Yeah. I think that, well, part of it is starting with really good material. And, and just like you guys, we're super selective about who comes through the front door, but even then you still have work to do and you'd be negligent. If uh, I should say one would be negligent if they didn't do that work. And by that, I mean, so Kavasi is a competitive place. It is, I, I believe very strongly as someone who was a coach and an athlete in college and, uh, uh, and I coached high school that, that you can really upload some, some powerful, powerful narratives and, and lessons through competition and sports. You can also upload some real poison. Mm. And so what we do with, with our staff, once we have really good folks in the door, is that we put them through um, a whole lot of sessions, of course. They go through an entire camp week, just like the boys would. And in those sessions, there's competition. There's a, you know, a color war that threads through all of, of the, the week. And they are stopped in specific moments. And we talk about what it means to be graceful when you're winning and losing. What kind of things get uploaded if you are not graceful? What the kids are, are picking up uh, when you're transmitting? And then we also just take a straight run at masculinity itself, Cole. We literally download what the society and popular culture and especially media is feeding our, our boys and us. Mm-hmm. And for some of the men, this is a revelation. They can't believe they've never thought about it. They never thought of, of masculinity or, or um, you know, being a man or being a woman as something that might even be partially socially constructed. And that the people who are feeding us those images might not have our best interests in mind. Um, mm-hmm. And they gobble it up. And you can see this moment three or four or five days in where they realize why we've been doing this and what they will now be able to bring to our campers because they have become aware of these same things. And it's really, it's really profound. It's a really, if we stopped right there, you know, I'd feel great about Kabasi's intervention. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets way better than that. They That's get right. extremely powerful relationships with kids and do something really profound. And they never forget it, as you well know. Absolutely. 20 years later, whether or not they become camp directors like you and me, they, <laughs> they'll, you know, I have, we have people showing up at Kabasi all the time being like, I was here 20 years ago and I can tell you what it smelled like and who my coolest counselors were. It makes a permanent, permanent impression. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I I come at camp differently. I went to summer camp one time for a week to a great camp in in North Carolina called Falling Creek, and I had a great experience. I still have memories, but you know, I didn't grow up through this whole experience. You know, and honestly, for my one week, I, I didn't have that one counselor that really stood out to me. 
because I think I was just there for a very short period of time. Yeah. What is it about the the relationship, you know, and, and I say it in the best possible light, that happens between, you know, these, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old, you know, young guys with guys that are 19, 20, 21 years old. What is it about that that's, that's so important? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really crazy, important question. Really, really powerful leverage is exerted upon the social, you know, the social fabric of a cabin and of a sports team by a young man who has all the trappings of manhood. He's tall. He's good at sports. I'm talking in this case about the counselors, but he isn't you and me, and he's not the camper's parents, and he's not the camper's uncle. The closest way to cons- you know to configure it, I guess, and this is something I say to our parents when they ask the same question, is it is a lot like the camper's coolest older cousin, mm-hmm. the one that that kid wants to be just like and is doesn't put in the adult category all the way, but that he's just enough like a you know a bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, wiser version of the camper that the camper thinks about what he says and does what he sees that counselor doing. And that is the kind of leverage that is so powerful and it is fleeting. If we put, you know, if we, if you and I are somehow able to, you know, move heaven and earth and have only 32 year old, uh, you know, teachers who had their summers off filling bunks, it wouldn't work as well. Right. We, we need that coolest older cousin phenomenon. We need three of them or four of them. And we need those guys to be transmitting the right messages. And that the adoration and the the I want to be like him ism of that moment is you know you can't reproduce it with any other age group and it doesn't work. You need somebody with the joie de vivre, the firepower, the relentless enthusiasm, and that cool older cousin access to the camper to really make progress. Yeah, and it's it really that doesn't exist very, very much in the real world. And, you know, I can think of a few examples, you know, certainly the boys and girls clubs, you know, do great work with that. Um, I know different organizations like Young Life, my boys have been a part of that and they get to be around, you know, young college men and women that just can't wait to be around them and just play and be. And, you know, but other than that, you know, really our our boys don't get a lot of of that type of kind of cross-generational experience with with guys they can look at and say yeah i can see myself being like that you know person in six years not rather than looking at the 45 year old dad who or 45 year old mom who are fantastic role models but the kids can't look at them and say oh yeah i can do that right they can't say that's me you know they don't they don't see that it's it's that and i think that the next and really important part to your your earlier point about only being at that wonderful camp in north carolina for a week yeah. It's time on task. Yes. It's not, it's not your cool older cousin who shows up for the reunion or a wedding and you spend five hours with. It's the cool older cousin that you get to go effectively be on a different planet with for a month. Right. You get to be just always with that person. You get to see them frustrated. You get to see them take a deep breath and become their best self because they're a counselor. You get to see them in competition and be graceful you get to see them when they're tired. You get to see them when they've had enough sleep, which is not that common. You get to see <laughs> them do all kinds of stuff. You get to see them try something new. I remember this event that happened at Cobbsey two summers ago where uh, a staff member who had never learned to swim 
was learning to swim in front of his campers. Wow. See them blown away by how much their counselor was risking by doing it. And they just, there was no shame in his game, which is just amazing. And there was just nothing but admiration. You know, the kids were so excited about it. You get to, that's my point. You get to have that quote unquote cool oldest cousin all the time. All the stuff that you and I wished at those, you know, those weddings and, and reunions. I really wish I could. My oldest, my coolest oldest cousin was named Matt, and I wanted to be like Matt so bad. But I only saw him every so often. Now imagine I got to be with Matt for a month every single year for seven years. You know what I mean? There's that. That's just a humongous difference in terms of why it becomes such a powerful relationship and why our, you know, why you and I get to see so much transformation happen, both for the boys and for the counselors. Because when you ask a 20 year old, 21 year old to rise and to, to put back, you know, college effectively uh, a selfish enterprise, not in a bad way, but you're working on yourself and you're yeah. developing all these academic skills, habits, but you're working on you. You go away for the summer to beautiful Maine or wherever a camp is and you, it's all about somebody else. Well, you start to develop a new set of tools, tools that make you feel really good. And tools that are so important back in the real world that, that we need as, as you know, husbands and fathers and, and teachers and workers and every bit of coaches, mentors, you know, yep. team very few places get to do that. Yep. Yep. So, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm always kind of bent on in, in this podcast and these conversations is I want to try to figure out how can we take what we know and what we see at camp and how can we help parents and coaches and teachers back home in the real world you learn from it and, and take some of the pieces and the tools and the skills that, that we've seen at camp develop and start to engender that and keep that, that magic going back home. How, yeah. how, how do you think parents can do that back home for their boys? You know, specifically for this reason, uh, I discovered, you know, whether or not this is socialized or if it's natural, that's a, you know, it's an in, sort of an academic question, but rather uninteresting from a practical standpoint. I noticed that the boys just transmit less about camp uh, than I would want them to. So they'll get back home after the best summer ever, you know, and uh, their mom and dad are like, how was camp? They're like, oh, Cobbsy's great. That was fun. It was great. It was cool. It was great. Loved it. All right. Can I have some pizza? You know, like just not really telling the story. And so uh, I think that what I really, we try to do even more is transmit the actual landscape contours and fabric of Cobbsy during the year. I mean, we, we, we do that also all summer long. We started doing a podcast every single night so that the parents could participate and the, and the little siblings and older sisters awesome. and just so that they can understand what was actually happening. And that has led to this really cool flourishing of conversations during the year. Like I'll go uh, visit a new, um, you know, basically a new family. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'll go visit a new kid whose older brother went to camp and I get, I'll get back, get into the house and the dad will be referencing stuff that happened last summer in a way that was much more fluent than previous years because he listened to every single podcast. Right. That sounds like a lot, but when you have a place that's built around values like Kabasi is, you, they, you need the parents to have a little foothold in the narrative. Otherwise they won't be able to keep it going during the year. You know, there's that. And then there's also just transmitting about how the boys can take it back home. 
um, and use it. So if they have a triumph on a, on a basketball court and they do not taunt their opponent or they lose a heartbreaker and they don't freak out, draping a an arm around a shoulder at that moment and saying, not only was that amazing that you just did that right now, but imagine what this will look like to your coaches back home and imagine how much it'll make a difference to your other teammates when you have a different poise, a different cast to your behavior, a different way of being, what that's going to look like. That's a really powerful thing. Again, a lot cooler if the 20 year old says it than if you or I say it, no offense, sure. yep. uh, either of us. But um, that is something that you, if you're transmitting and framing in that way, I think you can get some momentum. Yeah, that's that's such an important aspect of it to you know take the situations right. This is what it's going to be like back home when you have these challenges. You know, just like you've got here, we want you to get going. You know, but I'm thinking also those families that really don't have a chance to to see you know life at camp or to experience. And the podcast is a fantastic idea. Well, it's <laughs> it's a lot of work, I'm sure, um, but a valuable piece for your families. How can can coaches and teachers take you know, and parents take that camp thing back home and say, all right, well, this is what they do, you know, at, at great camps around the country for our boys. You know, is it, we got to focus more on, on communication? Is it more, we got to focus more on being, creating the type you, of life you want to live? Um, you know, what is it you feel like, what are the pieces of advice you would give parents and teachers and mentors back home that, that you've gleaned from camp? Yeah. So I think that, that I would sort of, um, I think that, you know, in earlier discussions, you know, around, around various tables, you and I have talked about, you know, what advice would you give to specific parents and what advice would you, you know, what, what would you, what would you want to pass on that you've, that, you know, I've really learned about specifically boys. I think that a few things that I think lessons, lessons about boys that I would want to, you know, tell the world if, if uh, I could be a little less than humble would be two things. Number one, first of all, a lot of the transmissions, a lot of people think that, that especially teenage boys or boys in general don't transmit emotions. And that's just, as you well know, um, false. <laughs> yeah, totally false. It's a slightly different wavelength, but that's happening all the time. Yeah. So uh, I think that noticing the patterns in groups of boys is really important. And I think also looking to see which boys are drawn to one's sons and or son and what the vibe of their group is is really important is it a vibe where of, of five boys they're always jockeying for social position what's that about or is it egalitarian roughly or fun loving and silly in an egalitarian way what is it all about dominance hierarchies or is it all about a co-story that they can you know they can bring together mm. and i think that as you well know Boys and girls, kids are capable of complicated conversations about those things much earlier than we think. There's this idea that they are just, you know, these semi-wild animals that are just sort of organically <laughs> growing. And that is totally, uh, I think that's just a missed opportunity. So paying attention to the, to the social tides that the youngsters are swimming in and having those conversations with your kids I think are really important and they're not easy to have, but even if the teenager in question looks like he's writhing under the attention, <laughs> which is probably what it would look like. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was writhing last night about a conversation we were having. So <laughs> <laughs> totally. yet he was thinking, which was, yeah. really, it was a good, oh, yeah. and they appreciate it so much. You know, I really think that that's uh, 
that's a really profound thing. Yeah. And not to get too far up, far up on the high horse, but the other thing that I think is really important, probably for, for both genders, but, um, but I would say, especially for boys is if you ask a question or raise an idea and it goes silent, assuming that they don't have tech in their hands and they're just ignoring you, <laughs> that silence is a really powerful space and it, it can seem awkward but it's really, really crucial that a, an authority figure of any kind lets that silence sit because it's taking the, the youngster is thinking. If you give them something that's a little hard to get their head around and then fill that thinking space with more chatter, if one does this, uh, it can stop that thinking process. So, yeah. you know, and I think that that silence is really, really powerful. And you see that in master teachers. They'll ask a, a, a question of a room and they'll just sit on the desk and let that silence roll because the teenagers are working it out. And if the eager beaver puts their hand up right away, you'll see a master teacher kind of nod at them and then knock on them because they're waiting for one of the, you know, the different processors to get into it. I think that that sort of thing is super crucial with letting those conversations uh, unfold in the most generative way possible. Yeah, there is a uh, there's a wonderful author and researcher that talks to a lot of these points that I've read. A guy named Dr. Michael Gurian. Uh, oh yeah, he has done so much great work on the tribe of of young men, the yeah. emotions of young men, and also how their brains literally are different than young men in in adult female brains, and that they have a little bit harder time getting to those language, you know points in their brain to then express what they're thinking. So yeah. the idea of giving them time to process will actually allow them to give you, you know, back an answer that they've been thoughtful about. Yep. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Speaking of, of books, I know you are wonderfully well read. What books have, have kind of molded you and what, what books and other pieces of information would you suggest to families if they wanted to read more about, about boys and young men? Yeah. So I think that one of the things I I sort of gestured to this when we were just talking about, um, you know, parents paying attention to the, to the, the the soul dynamic or the vibe of their, their young men's group of of friends or, you know, Mm -hmm. even boys group of friends. I spent a lot of time thinking of groups of boys, obviously, Uh, you know, whether it's a whole camp or a bunk or an age group or just three counselors and what their vibe is like, because it's such an important thing. Um, and because of that, recently, I've been really focused on a series of writers and thinkers who are really interested in why men and boys bond in the ways they do and what one can do intentionally to, you know, further that, those bonds or, um, you know, in, in, you know, many of these historical examples, how you know, very, very bad men and women have twisted these these same dynamics for, for ill gains and so on. So it's not exactly childhood development texts, but I have, uh, I'm actually going to be speaking at, at ACA Tri-State about this exact stuff. Um, and I, I'm, I'm nervous about it, but I'm excited about it too. <laughs> there is a, uh, you know, the, the, a, a, th- a German thinker named Kurt Hahn, that's H-A-H-N, uh, started Outward Bound, which is a oh, organization that Americans are pretty totally he uh started outward bound kind of accidentally he was mostly interested in <laughs> my phone's right. gone off a couple sorry times about here. that <laughs> all good. 
Um, he's all, he was mostly interested in residential schools and those schools he was most interested in what would happen if you give boys at first, and then he, there was women, he started in the 1920s, so it was a little bit gender specific back then. What would happen if you gave young people a real role in their communities and then gave them real skills to meet that role? What would happen? And he found overwhelmingly that they would bond together. They would often cast aside their differences. And he was really interested in that. So that's Kurt Hahn. You can read all about Kurt Hahn and all of his, his philosophies. At, the best place actually is um, KurtHahn.org. Uh, which is a repository of his speeches and writings. He was mostly a headmaster and mostly a school director. And you might even call him a camp director because he ran summer programs. Sure. So he was really a philosopher, but he really thought about this stuff a lot and had a lot of great influences. Um, and so that's one major interest. And then another non-developmental uh, text I've been really spending a lot of time with is two books by a writer named Sebastian Younger. And he wrote most famously The Perfect Storm, which became uh, a movie, of course. Uh, and he That's also. It's a hair raising book. It's a hair raising book. And the other books he's written are even more hair raising. He And you'll pardon the uh, explosive title. The two books I've been spending most time with are called War and also mm-hmm. called Tribe. Mm-hmm. And they're basically about American soldiers in really, you know, very, very war torn parts of Afghanistan and why, when they make it home after you know, really a horrifying tour. Why do they go back? Why, what, what would it be that would cause a boy, a man to leave the safety of the American, you know, heartland and go back to the Korangal Valley of Afghanistan? And the answer is, is because he has found there the kind of connection and meaning that he finds lacking, you know, here, huh. which is exactly what you pointed to. Yeah. The beginning of this conversation, what is it about camp that makes men and boys and you know women and girls bond so tightly together? And why do they find it lacking back home? Well, the same thing is true for soldiers. And, and the more intense their experiences are, the more they seem to want to go back to them, even at great risk to life and limb. And I'm really interested in uploading those ideas to camp. Obviously not war itself. That's crazy. But, sure. um, but the idea of belonging and connection. Yeah. And tribe, which is the name of of Younger's answer to war. He, he asked so many questions that haunted himself in tribe that he, he wrote another book called, war, uh, excuse me, answered all the, asked all these questions in war that he then needed to answer in tribe. And that's all about the same stuff that the, the um, psychologist you mentioned deals with. Why do, how do men and boys bond in groups? Why do they, and what is lacking when they don't? Yeah. No, oh, gosh, powerful. Well, Josh, thank you, man. It's it's. I love sitting down and talking with you. <laughs> these these points of conversation. Nothing else for, for my own three boys and 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 the young men that we get to work with. It's so important that you know we as a society continue to work with both our girls and our boys to help them become fantastic humans um, and going forward. So I appreciate all that you do and all that you've shared with us. Thanks, man. It's my pleasure. And uh, I feel the same way about you and your projects, Cole. And uh, I really appreciate these questions. It, it is, uh, it has been really a gift to have this conversation ahead of that presentation at Tri-State. <laughs> well, I know you'll knock it out of the park at Tri-State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and, and we'll do it again. Okay. Sounds great. All right, pal. Good talking with you. Likewise. Right, bye. 
there's so much good stuff in there that it's almost even hard to unpack for me, um, especially as a father of three boys and a, as a person who works with hundreds of boys and young men every summer. That idea of being literally on a different planet, which is exactly what camp is, I think might be the most important aspect of what Josh was talking about. Giving kids a chance, and boys specifically, a chance to be in an environment where it's just about them, where they can cut loose and they don't have any comparison trap worries to deal with. The fact that they're learning how to fight the good fight against one another with respect, which I love that part. And also loved even earlier on when he talked about coming from camp, coming home from camp and feeling like the ceiling was too low and the air was not moving. There is something primal about all of us that need to be outside and moving and grooving and enjoying nature. And certainly camp does that. And we can create more and more experiences like that for our boys back home. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for spending your time with me around the campfire and with Josh. If you liked today's conversation, I hope you'll take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you're listening to. And I hope you'll tell a friend. We have a big, huge campfire circle and all is welcome. Until we speak again next, I hope you have a grateful week. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. SCOPE stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. SCOPE campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting SCOPE. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.